0: talk about the wedding feast and as we do that if you're online we welcome you we're glad you're here and encourage you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 22 and uh, before I get into it though you, we need a little bit of a, a runway to be able to get an on-ramp so that we can get rolling we're doing a series on the parables. And if you look into the New International Version of the Bible, they give you a chronological order of how Jesus taught the parables, and there are 46 of them. We're only doing a few. And the first 10 are at the outset of his ministry, and what he's doing is unveiling a new understanding of what it is that God is doing in the earth. And he uses parables like new wine in an old wineskin, a new cloth on an old coat, a lamp on a stand. He uses the wise and foolish builders. In other words, he's starting to unpack what it is that God's up to in the earth. And then he moves into a second series of four parables where he's talking now about the kingdom of God. And he talks about seed that is sown all over the world, whether it's seed in all kinds of soil, whether it's growing seed, mustard seed, he starts talking about agricultural realities that they're all familiar with. But these parables are meant to instruct his disciples and cause a little bit of confusion to the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day who think they know everything there is to know about the kingdom of God. And he's opening their understanding as well as they begin to listen because it's later on when you hear about people like Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, rich people who understand what it is that God's doing and are hungry. And then we go into the third uh, issue of the parables and that is the kingdom of heaven. So it's not just what's going on on earth, it's what's going on in heaven. And he talks about yeast, and he talks about pearls of great value, and he talks about the owner of a house. And all of these things are to understand that the kingdom of God is at hand, and God is up to something. Now, the next 17 are really, really essential because they're all about our behavior. They're all about how we live our life on a day-to-day basis, and how we live matters. It matters to God, and it matters to one another, because how we live makes a difference in the lives of others. And he starts off with the lost sheep, And uh, he begins to talk about his heart to go after those that are lost. And he talks about uh, the sheep and the shepherd and the one gate to come in to the pen. And we understand what he's saying. And then he goes all the way down through lost sheep, lost coin, and lost prodigal son that Pastor Jason taught us. And as we're doing that, we're starting to see, Lord, how we live our lives And who we live our lives for is really, really important. What we invest our lives in is really essential. And then we come to the very last nine. The last nine parables are all about the messianic, return of the king, they're prophetic in their nature, and I love it that when Pastor Jason gives me the opportunity, invites me to speak, he always gives me those prophetic portions because I love that, and you're going to be introduced to some things today that you may not understand, but by the end you will understand. And so today in the Messianic prophecies, we're talking about an invitation that God is extending to a wedding banquet. So the unfolding at the beginning, now to the unfolding of what is yet to come. God is at work in the earth doing what only he can do and calling men and women to himself. And that's the work that you and I are involved in every single day. That's the mission that we have in our hearts and in our lives. And so parables are very, very essential. I want you to turn, before we go to Matthew, because we need an on-ramp, I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 10, and they are very essential for us to grasp what's going on. And uh, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, and that's what we were doing a moment ago. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. If you've been a bride, you know what it's like as the uh, opportunity to get married comes and that day is in the distance and all the preparations that are to take place. That's what's happening right now. The bride made herself ready and was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen are the righteous deeds of the saints. So it matters how we live. The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everything about a parable is about an invitation. God's extending an invitation to all of us every single day to come follow him. And it says, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All of this that we are reading from God's word is food to our spirit. And that's why when you are filled with the Spirit and you're in tune with what God is doing in the kingdom, worship is not hard. Worship is something you long to do. It's, it's what's feeding your soul. It's what's connecting you to him. It's what's allowing you to have communion with God in such a way that there's an intimacy in your relationship with him and his relationship with you. You know him, and he knows you, and that brings life to your spirit. Jesus said, my words are more than just words, but they are spirit and they are life. And so we come alive when we worship him in spirit and truth. The invitation to the wedding follows a Jewish tradition. Jesus was Jewish. He came through the line of Judah, and he came as God's Messiah, first to the Jewish people, whose role was to be a light to the Gentiles and to bring Messiah into the world. And so All through Scripture, we start to see this unfolding, and when we get into the New Covenant, the Apostle Paul makes this very clear to us because he's Jewish. And whenever a couple were going to get married, when you think of Mary and Joseph, Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, there was a betrothal period. And the betrothal was considered marriage, but intimacy had not taken place yet. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is saying this now to his disciples. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So there's something so precious and so sacred and so holy about this intimacy between Jesus and his church. The the groom is Christ, the bride is the church, and there's a wedding that's about to take place. What happens in the betrothal period is the groom goes back to his father's house, and it's his role now to prepare a place for his bride to come. And as he's building and adding on to his father's house, he doesn't know when the time is to go and get his bride because that's reserved for his father. And when the father looks at all that has taken place, he does what every good parent does. And that is you look at your kids and you know, well, we've got to give them these kinds of things for them to be able to get started in life. And we, have all, we all have these little trepidations that they're not quite ready, but there is a point when they're ready. And when they're ready, in Jewish tradition, it was the father's responsibility to turn to his son and say, go get your bride. That's why Jesus says, I don't even know when that time will come, because it's in the father's heart that the building of the body of Christ, the bride of the lamb, is taking place because the greatest gift that God the father is going to give to his son is a bride, And you're invited to be part of the bride. You're you're important to God in that process because he wants to gift his son. And here's what it says in John 14, 2 and 3. Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. In my father's house are many mansions or many places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare A place for you. You can't get any more personal than that. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, how many know he did leave? He did go to prepare a place. If I go, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also." Can you feel the weightiness of that word? Jesus speaking to us is, I'm preparing a place for you. So I'm calling you to prepare a place for me in your heart and in your life. And there's gonna come a moment when the Father's gonna turn to me and he's gonna say, the time has come everything's ready, go get your bride. What do you you think happens in the heart of a groom when he's on the way to receive his bride? There is great joy, great excitement, great anticipation, and that's the way it should be. And so the marriage of the lamb is going to come when Jesus comes for his bride. And he's going to take her to be with him. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. The Lord himself, remember he promised in John 14, he will descend from heaven with a shout. Every groom shouts, this is the day the Lord has made. Hallelujah. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those who have called out to Jesus during their lifetime and their spirit is in the presence of God, their bodies are still in the ground, but there's a glorification that must take place and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, Paul says... To the Thessalonians who are struggling with death amongst the Christian believers. And they're uncertain. Did they miss something? And he says, comfort one another with these words. How many know when Jesus comes for his bride, it's about comfort? It's about the consolation of something. It's about the start of another era that's going to take place on earth while the bride is with the groom in heaven in the place prepared for her. And then the heart of God that none should perish. What will happen on the earth is the unfolding of the judgments of God and the wrath of Satan so that mankind will step back and step into a place of repentance and submission to the lordship of Jesus, but in the midst of great trial and tribulation. There's a joyous, joyous time in the coming of Jesus for his bride. But when he comes the second, not in the clouds in the air, but when he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, and he comes not for his bride, but with his bride, there is great and terrible judgments that will take place on the earth. That is not a time of comfort. So don't confuse the coming of Christ for his bride and the coming of Christ to conclude all things in the earth. And so Jesus uses the parable of a wedding feast simply to prepare our hearts for what is coming. He knows what is coming in the future. And so all of these events now that we're going to read about in Matthew 22 show us that the time is very, very near. I don't know if you like to watch news, but I do because I want to see the chess game unfolding in the earth. I want to see what God has already said in his word that allows us to know what time it is, what season it is, where we're at in the prophetic unfolding of God's word. And I just watched this week when there was... President Putin and the president of Iran and the president of Turkey, and you look at the allies that are allied against Israel right now, and you begin to see, Lord, everything you said in your word about end times is starting to unfold. So I need to know what time it is. That's why you have a watch and you look at it, and it gives you an accurate understanding of the time. And when you look into God's word, that's God's timepiece. To give you an understanding that Israel is at the center of what he's doing. And when you see the nations all around it in great array. Have you noticed that in Psalm 83 there's a war going to happen in Damascus. And it's going to be no more. When a city is pulverized to oblivion. Something untoward has just happened. And so the chess game of what is taking place. So we don't live with blinders on. We live looking up, knowing that our redemption is coming. We look up, knowing that heavenly places, things are taking place, and we're seeing the evidence of it on earth. And so, what does Jesus do in Matthew 22? He starts preparing them. And when he shares this with them, it isn't long before they're sitting as disciples on the Mount of Olives, and they ask the question, With everything that you've been teaching us, what are the signs of the end? How many know that's important to know? What are those signs? And if you read Matthew 24 on your own, it is replete with what's happening in our day to day. And when you see it, you go, Jesus, thank you. You don't leave us in the dark. So Matthew 22, beginning at verse 1, Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables, So he's talking to the chief priests and the Pharisees who are his opponents and his disciples are listening. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who made a wedding feast for his son. Now the disciples are catching on. The chief priests and them are not catching on. He's giving them an understanding, a messianic understanding that the king has extended an invitation to you to attend the wedding of his son. So this is messianic and this is prophetic. He sent out his servants, the king did, to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. And look what the scripture says. But they wouldn't come. If a king invited you to a wedding of his son, How many know that would be a very, very important invitation? And it would be very fancy when it came to you. And if you spurned it, that would be rude. You would find yourself in a difficult position if you did that. Jesus is saying, lots of Hebrew prophets have come and they've offered you an invitation. John the Baptist offered you an invitation, but you ignored this and you're ignoring it to your peril. And so again, he sent out, now Jesus is teaching this. Again, he sent out other servants, tell those who were invited, look, I prepared my meal, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, so he's not a vegetarian just thought I'd put that in there. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Luke says, compel them to come in. Matthew says, come to the wedding feast. So More servants go out. So you've got from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation, God continuing not only in the old covenant through the Hebrew prophets, but now through the church and the missions and the apostolic people all over the world that continually invite people to the wedding that the king is having for his son. That message keeps going on. It's going out right now to some of you who are listening, to some of you who are watching. You may not have accepted that invitation yet, but you want to see the heart of God the Father for people? He keeps sending out an invitation, and it's got your name on it. And he wants you to come to his son's wedding feast. It's rude to ignore a king's invitation, but he will continue to send them. But in verse 5, paying no attention, they went away, one to his farm, one to another business. What are they doing? Number one, they're lacking spiritual discernment. They're not being very wise. They're looking at natural things and thinking that's all there is to life. You just live your life, you put money in the bank, you retire, and then you die and that's it. How many know that's false information? You're eternal. You're going to live forever and forever and forever, either as one who has accepted an invitation or one who has rejected an invitation. But that invitation is a measure in the Scriptures that is without bounds. In verse 6, the rest grabbed the servants, humiliated them, and killed them. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I have sent so many to you And you continue to refuse. And you get so angry that you end up killing the messenger. But I want you to know that I've made arrangements for the messenger to be with me. But the message is going to keep coming. And it's going to keep coming. And it's going to keep coming. And God alone judges our actions righteously. You know, sometimes when you listen to a message on heaven or a message on hell and you say to yourself, well, there's no such thing as hell. How many know just in this place called earth in time, our neighbor, that's a prison next door. And why are people in the prison next door? Because they've broken the law. And God is just and sin means we break his law, and so there's a requirement. The wage of sin is death. Because God is just and God is holy, then that law needs to be taken care of, and the only way it's taken care of is through the blood of his son. The sacrifice that Jesus made for the invitation to continue to be sent. Because God is just and God is holy, and when his servants are killed, and his servants are humiliated. And you think, on average now, it's about between one hundred and 200,000 people every single year lose their lives because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're from Nigeria, you know what's happening in Nigeria. There are many nations of the world right now. It's dangerous to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Or to extend an invitation to someone. You could be killed for that. Verse 7, the king became furious. Sending his troops, he destroyed those murderers and set fire to their city. That's what's going to take place in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. after the death of Christ. But it's also going to happen again in the end times. So we need to do those things that please the Lord and not arouse his anger. His patience with the disobedience, does have an expiry date. And it's important for you to know that biblically. Verse 8, he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited, he's talking to chief priests, Pharisees, Jewish people who should know better because they've had the prophets, they've had the covenants, they've had the patriarchs, they've had everything available to them. And he said, but they were not worthy. They've spurned my invitation. They think they know better. How many people have you run into that know better than God? Can I just let you in on a secret? He was at work before you were born. He will be at work after you die. So the world doesn't revolve around you. Verse 9, so now... He says, Go into the highways and the byways and invite everyone you find to the wedding feast. Well, but Lord, everyone? Absolutely everyone. Invite the Jew and invite the non Jew. No one's worthy, but I'll make them worthy, invite them. The invitation is solely based on the king's generosity. It's the goodness of his heart. It's the love that he has for his creation. In verse 10, those servants went out into the highways and they gathered together all they found, both bad and good. Those of you that have an Irish background, It's at that moment when you read, He invited the bad and the good, and you say, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. That's quite an invitation. That's the whosoever will may come. It doesn't matter how deep in darkness their life is gone, it doesn't matter how unfaithful they've been, it doesn't matter the mess they find themselves in, I love them and I want them at the wedding feast of my son, go and get them. So when you understand your life is about extending invitations, Jesus is basically saying, what are you doing with your life? Extend invitations to others to come follow me. And the wedding was filled with guests. All types came into the wedding feast. But when the king came in to look over the guests, he saw a man there who wasn't dressed in wedding clothes. Now Jesus is teaching a parable, and he said to them, "When a king calls for people to be part of his son's wedding, he provides them a garment." And when he looks into the wedding feast, he's all rejoicing, and he sees someone there that's dressed in their own garb. They're not dressed in a wedding garment. And what does Jesus mean in this? It's that You can't come to the wedding feast of my son until you've been clothed with the fine linen of the righteous acts that only come with the blood of my son cleansing you from all unrighteousness. And then you have a garment on you that means you're ready for the wedding feast. You're ready for everything. So that man that's out there who thinks he can get into the kingdom on his own terms or he can come another way, he's not dressed. Kick him out. Are you dressed? And then verse 12, friend, he said to him, how'd you get in here without wedding clothes? And the Bible says, but the man was silent. When Jesus talks, there's no pushback because we know that when he speaks, he speaks authoritatively. He speaks righteously. He speaks with holiness. And what that means to you and me is we have no excuse. So when you read Romans chapter 1 and it says, they are without excuse, you begin to realize, well, Lord, Jesus Christ is the spirit of God in the earth, in in the flesh and helping us to understand there's no other way into the presence of God except through what he has done on the cross. And what he has done on the cross opens the door for us, allows us to walk through the gate, because now we're closed in the righteousness of the Son of God. And he ends the parable by saying, Then the king said to his servants, Tie him up hand and foot, throw him out into outer darkness, In that place will be weeping and gnashing in teeth So. Here's the, the final conclusion. You may say you know God, and that's really wonderful, but does God know you? Because the Bible teaches us that God knows those who are his, and every motive of our heart will be exposed to him. And that's where he ends, and he says, Many are called, but few are chosen you need to make sure that you have the credentials to be at the king's wedding feast for his son. And so the question is, as I conclude, and I'll say that a couple of times, is today's apathy to God's invitation to attend the wedding of his son that much different than in Noah's day? Because Jesus will talk about that in Matthew 24. He'll say, in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. So for all the time that it took Noah to build the ark visibly in the presence of that generation, everyone would have known about it. There would come a moment in time where they would feel the first drops of rain on their face, and they would realize that what Noah was saying was true, but the door to the ark now had been closed, and Noah's family was safely on board the ark, and the pitter-patter of rain started. What kind of fear do you think was in the hearts of those people of that generation who knew now they had missed the invitation to find a place of safety? And so, Noah may have been preparing an ark, but God the Father is preparing a bride. And he wants you to be part of that. Because when Jesus comes for his church, it's going to be just as suddenly as when the door closed to the ark. Those who rejected the message because they were too busy living their own lives, they were caught. But God had removed his people to safety because they were not appointed to judgment or wrath. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He judged the rest with a flood for their disobedience and their rejection of his invitation. So the marriage feast is all about Jesus teaching us the invitation continually goes out. What will you do with it? Let's all stand together for a moment as Pastor Joyce comes. I want you to put your hand over your heart. If you're online and you're watching, put your hand over your heart. If you're in your lawn chair, get up and just put your hand over your heart. This is a crucial moment. Because the invitation is being extended to you. And if you in your heart of hearts can say, oh, Jesus, I received your invitation. I rejoiced in your invitation. I put it to my chest and I thought to myself, I've been invited to the wedding of the Son of God. I've been chosen to be part of the bride. And I have fine linen on me now. Then you keep your hand over your heart. But there are some here today and some watching that you've never received the invitation that is being extended to you. Can I encourage you today? Just take it, take it to your heart, and say, Jesus, thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for being willing to cleanse me, to wash me in your blood, and to dress me in fine linen so that I will. Enter in to all that you've promised for all eternity. So let's pray this prayer together out loud. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you for your Son. He represents a precious bride and groom, and we're the bride. And we're the bride. He's the groom. He's the groom. And you're extending an invitation to me. And you're extending an invitation to. Me. And I accept. And I accept. Bad or good, I accept. I accept because the blood of your son poured out on the cross is sufficient for me to be qualified to be at the wedding feast. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.